This is a Lip Media Podcast. Content discussed on this podcast may be triggering for some individuals. So if you feel like today you can't quite handle it, that's totally fine. You can press pause and come back another day. Remember, we're always going to be here. And if you need immediate help, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. everybody welcome back to if you don't mind it's the second half of season two very excited to be back i've had a lovely break you know not doing anything obviously because coronavirus (laughs) um but i'm really happy to be back and um get to share with you another 10 fantastic stories um for the rest of the year so it's very exciting on today's show i spoke to the brilliant and creative Anya. Now, Anya is a multidisciplinary artist. She's very creative. She can draw and paint and sing and create beats. Like, she's very cool and very prolific in everything she can do. Um, and Anya also lives with bipolar 2 disorder. Um, on this episode, she talks me through what the process was like in terms of getting that diagnosis and how it actually took a long time um, for people to detect that she had a mood disorder. Um, she also explains what it was like moving overseas and unfortunately having some bad treatment experiences there. Um, but at the same time, how amazing her um her treatment team in Australia has been uh, for her recovery. We also talk about how art is really helpful um, in terms of recovery, which I think is really interesting. So yeah, I, I think it's 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 very cool, uh, engaging episode. Uh, Anya was really great to interview, so I think you're going to love it. Um, just a trigger warning as usual, guys. We do talk about bipolar disorder, anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation. So if that's something that you're not ready to listen to today, it's all good. Come back whenever you're ready. Guys, this is episode... I have no idea what episode we're up to. It's a new episode. <laughs> I don't know. Um, this is Anya. I hope you love it. Um, so I do need to go get myself a better pair of headphones, but because um, <laughs> I'm just like... I hate it. I hate it so much. It, it's so It kind of like affects my equilibrium in the way. Like I feel like I can't balance. I don't know. It's strange. You should get, have you tried open headphones? No, I haven't. Yeah, I, I've got them right now. They're so good. They're like, well, they're half open. Yeah. Like, um, so they're kind of a bit more airy. Mm. They're not as bassy. Ooh. So they're really good for, they're probably really good for podcasting because it gives it a bit more open sound. Like you, yeah. I can send you a link to the ones that I use. Oh, I've yes, please. Like four years, so <laughs> they're really good. That would be amazing. I just, I can't, I can't do it. Like, I don't mind it if they're really big and they're covering my ears and I feel like there's a bit more room, but, like, well, these, these little yeah, ones. These ones have velvet. Oh, really nice. yeah. stop it. Velvet is my favorite <laughs> fa- fabric. That's yeah, amazing. <laughs> uh, brilliant. So, Anya, thank you so much for being on the show today. Welcome. Hi. Hello. Um, yes, you're in Melbourne. <laughs> 
how's it going in lockdown in lockdown i i do feel i do feel a lot of empathy for you guys at the moment and i i know everybody's like giving victoria like shit like bullshit stop it like it could have happened to anyone I'm sorry. Like, where are we all into this together? Like, what the fuck? I agree. I agree. And I thought it was How quite can funny. You be so smug. It's just, it's a terrible thing to be smug about. I think for me, like, it was quite funny how as soon as this happened and as soon as New South Wales was like, see, like, we're better, blah, blah, blah. Like, we started That's having an bullshit. increase. Like, yeah, come on. Come on. But also, like, this, it was bound to happen in some place it's in Australia. Yeah. yeah. But, like, cities, of course, the cities are going to explode with cases. Yeah. You've got high density living. You've got people, like, of course, like, mm-hmm. it's, it's no brainer. Like, you go to Perth. I mean, hello. Perth is like, ghost town exactly (laughs) of course they're not gonna have cases i've got family there and they're just skyping me with the sunshine out in the park and i'm just like assholes i know that must be so tough because i guess we were all in the same boat like a few months ago but now it's just kind of you guys on your own which is so demoralizing yeah i mean look like yeah, we'll see. And now, now I've ordered some very fancy floral face masks. So I'm Ooh. very excited. Yeah, and a friend of mine's making them, and I'm, I'm gonna make like I make these crazy psychedelic prints, and I'm like, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make a killing. Yes, <laughs> yeah, make some some masks in this in this time because yeah, we'll have to from tonight. I think is is compulsory to to wear these masks, wow. which is fine. Like if they if they you know if it prevents some spread, but. Yeah, it's not comfortable because I wear glasses, mm. so my glasses fog up. <laughs> oh no, that would be so annoying. Yeah, when I when I, uh, when I breathe, <laughs> how am I gonna how am I gonna wear these masks? Oh god, fuck! I know, I know. It's they're not pleasant to wear, but then you're like, you know what's not pleasant? COVID. So I'm gonna wear my mask. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> it's so yes. difficult. Um, well, despite obviously everything that's happening in Melbourne, I really appreciate you taking the time to to be on the show. Yes. Um, so I guess I wanted to just start off by asking you who you are, what you do, what you're about, that kind of thing. Hmm, sure. Um, all right. Well, my name's Anya, and I am a multidisciplinary artist. I've been doing a lot of different, especially in COVID, I've actually done a lot more different art forms, but my primary focus is music and I produce music, electronic music under the moniker Nanush, yes. which is a childhood nickname, my mommy. So um, I've been I've been living in Sweden for the past four years in Malmö, um, which I loved and also hated. There were definitely some amazing things about that time and some very difficult things. Mm. Um so I've been making music and just sort of developing as an artist and, um, you know, just harnessing my wild brain for good. Yes, I love that. <laughs> um, because because I do, I've got bipolar disorder. I was um, type 2. So there are, that's the thing that I think is quite interesting is that there are, it, is on, it sits on a spectrum. So mm-hmm. you've got bipolar type 1, which is quite an obvious condition it's probably a lot easier to diagnose but type 2 is um, a lot more subtle and it's typically more difficult to diagnose because you don't go to the doctor when you're feeling hypermanic which is when you're feeling fantastic and full of energy and creativity like why would you go to the doctor for that <laughs> it's a great feeling um, yeah yeah it's a great feeling and you know you get a lot of shit done and it's it's you know you get a lot of ideas and it, it but at the same time it can also be toxic because you 
you know, you might get into some stupid debt or you might spend too much money or whatever. Mm. But you don't go to the doctor for that. And so for about 10 years, I was diagnosed with different conditions such as PTSD and depression and um, general anxiety disorder. And all these all these labels just never really fit correctly for me, like because I'd grown up with such mood swings mm. and such, um, such wild, you know, um, ideas and also paranoia and all these kinds of things that, you know, depression wasn't. It, like one day I was I was high as a kite, the next day I was super low. So it just never it never really um, never really fit mm. until I was twenty nine and I was in a really toxic job. So I've actually heard this story quite a lot with people with bipolar. They often are in very high pressure jobs because they are like you know go getters. Yeah, like you know, go for like really you know intense jobs and then it just brings it just tears them apart because they either mm. invest too much of their time or um or too much of their energy and so I was in this really really ill-fitted job it was like a corporate marketing job Oof. I'm not Oof. sure if you've seen the office yes I have oh yes I have yes <laughs> <laughs> so my boss was Michael Scott oh he was like and I was watching it I was like this is too close I can't this is too <laughs> triggering <laughs> so he was just he was just he was so incompetent and um like I don't know. They just it just wasn't a supportive environment. It was an engineering company, and also, have you seen the series Utopia? I have. Yeah. So it was a mix between Utopia and the Office. That sounds Sorry. horrid. The job. So this, I was in this weird job, and it was just it was just because I got back from overseas and I was desperate to work, so I took it on, even though in my gut I was like, this is not right for me. Yeah. And so six months down the track, I just lost it. Like my manager was like, oh, can you just write a article, uh, 3,000, you know, a whole page about trees? (laughs) (laughs) No. I'm like, no, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. I'm out of here. And so I just quit. Like, and that's, that was actually quite a a strong pattern of mine throughout my twenties was I just, I quit so many jobs because it got too much. Mm. Um, and I just, I didn't resolve it kind of thing. So then, yeah, so then I went to my GP and she said, you know, you've got clinical depression because I, I came and I was just catatonic. Mm. And she gave me Lexapro, which, um, you know, is a pretty common antidepressant. And she just gave it to me and said, look, you know, take this, uh, see how you go. I was seeing a psychologist at the time and she didn't really pick up on the bipolar, which, you know, I thought was interesting considering she'd seen me for like six months wow um she just thought I had like anxiety and that I needed to get out of this job and stuff anyway so then a month after taking this Lexapro like at first I was really happy Mm. and then a month after I was suicidal wow yeah so I got really bad I was living in St Kilda Ripley at the time and all I wanted to do was just like I just remember being on St Kilda Road and just like I just want to die. Like, you know, I'm so ill. Like, I'd, I'd leave her office. Yeah. I left her office and then standing on the side of the road wanting to just, like, you know, end it all. Mm. Um, then, like, walking down to the beach, to St Kilda Beach, sitting on the beach, just, like, wanting to go out to the water and just not come back and just all these really awful feelings. Um and so I was just like a mess. And my mom was like, okay, let's call our family friend. And 
um, he's a psychologist. So he recommended a woman, Louise, who just saved my life. Absolutely just was an angel. Wow. She immediately picked up that I, you, I think you have a mood disorder. Um, go and see a psychiatrist and let's try and fix this. So then I booked in for a psychiatry visit with um, Dr. Mishra, who is also another angel. <laughs> I call them my psych angels, who did a really thorough assessment, you know, really like asked a lot of questions and got a real insight into my background. And, um, and yeah, and just like really took the time. And I think that's what it takes. You can't just, you can't just assume someone's got depression just because they turn up depressed. Mm. I think that it, it, it can be a lot more complex than that. Definitely. So, yeah. So he just like completely put me on Valparate on top of the Lexapro. So I've got Lexapro as the base and then Valparate, which is like a epilim, which is an epilepsy drug. Oh, yep. 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 He just, it's like, like these big purple pills. <laughs> it's like big, like chunky like, pills. I'm like, every night I'm like, Ugh. Oh, that would be not fun to swallow. Yeah, yeah. So I took that and for the first few days I was a zombie and then suddenly it was like a switch just kind of like, I don't know, it just just worked. Wow. It was like, it was so prolific, the feeling. And then I just got into like recovery mode for like, you know, um, for a few years I was really quite good. Mm. And then I moved to Sweden. And, you know, moving to a new country is bloody hard. Yeah, it sounds intense. It's not easy. It's like I was just taking it for granted that it would be okay. Um, Yeah, like just trying to navigate a mental health system of another country. And it's just like so complicated. Um, Like I think I think they have – you know, the fact they've got free or quite affordable healthcare is incredible. Um, but it takes a really long time to access mental health services in Sweden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was a journey. <laughs> so. I just love that I, that whole concept of like these like psychologists and psychiatrists who come in and just help you so significantly. Like I think it's very easy to get very, I don't know, like disillusioned with the mental health service but then when Mm. you when you meet these people who get you and understand Mm. you and Mm. can help you it's so incredibly freeing i think and it just it just gives you faith again in in the system and yeah it's i I love that that you that happened to you yeah i mean it happened to me in australia Mm. um but then it didn't happen to me in sweden i have really shit experience that sucks but that's just oh, it's the luck of the draw yeah it's for everyone everyone that i've spoken to with mental health issues always has these stories of like either they've got really good good luck or then really bad luck um because yeah because not everyone meshes well yeah 100 you know? percent. like maybe louise doesn't suit everybody but she suited me um and she's what yeah. you needed yes oh, i love that yeah. um if we can, cir- I want to circle back to some things you kind of mentioned to me just before kind of this all kicked off. So I thought it was really interesting. You kind of had this, you, you mentioned you had this kind of obsession with the, the world ending. 
mm. um, and like a fear of dying, which I, I completely understand with and I, and I have had as well. But, I mean, can you explain what that was like and, you know, how that manifested itself at such oh. a young age? Well, there were just a few things that I saw as a kid that really traumatised me. One was <laughs> Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Yes. You know, with the freaking scene where there's an atomic bomb and then there's the playground on fire and terrifying terrifying as a, you know and i saw that when i was quite young so that was the starting point so then i so i watched that and then i saw like a, a special cold war was it it was like unsolved mysteries or like some sort of one of those shows that talk about like predictions and nostradamus and, yes 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 and so then i discovered this guy nostradamus and i was like who is it like nostradamus and then i'd like look up Anytime I got, like, an encyclopedia or, like, into the library, I'd, I'd kind of look up these resources. Like, mm. thank God I didn't have the internet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Internet's got not good for people like us. No, no, no. Far out, man. I would be just nuts. And then, I, and then I saw a newspaper article about atomic bombs. So it was, like, I think it was that era in the 90s where it was, yeah, like, there was a lot of fear around atomic bombs and, mm. you know, and then... Um, so then, so that I had these obsessions that that the world was going to end, and you know, um, I was going to die, and and you know, it was just my parents were going to die, and I'd always like f- get so fearful of them leaving the house, and mm. just really obsessive stuff, and <laughs> it's just something that a kid shouldn't have to deal with. No, that sounds so intense. Yeah, and. Uh, no one ever picked up on it. I mean, my mum and dad must have been like, whoa, she's pretty intense. <laughs> we have a very intense child here. Um, yeah, my mum, my mum sort of, we joke about it now. It's like, yeah, you were pretty weird. I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. And then my, I mean, my sister, she's seven years younger than me and she was a bit of a punching bag, um, which I'm very regretful for mm. because she kind of copped my moods. And she, I think that made her quite withdrawn. So, but as you know, as soon as I got my diagnosis, my, my sister was like, well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You get that kind of like clarification of oh, why this happened. Yeah. It's such a relief to get that diagnosis because I was like, oh, this all makes sense. Even though I read the, you know, symptoms and conce- possible consequences. I think it's interesting how like some people don't want a diagnosis they don't prescribe to it they don't no, need it no. but then other people and i'm the same like i want to know what i have i want to know what it is yeah exactly and explain it, it to me makes me feel a bit more in in control of it yeah of, of my like oh is that why i'm like that okay it's yeah just that. i 100 percent agree me. it's not me it's it's the illness it's the condition but you know like i've been um doing a course in education support and learning about indigenous cultures and how um, they don't they don't have classifications of mental health conditions it's just part of the spiritual you know spiritual beings and I'm like oh it's so beautiful <laughs> yeah. such a beautiful way of looking at it you know um, that it's just part of like some people just see visions and and you know, hear voices and, and it's part of their culture and the earth. And I, I just was like, that's so beautiful. <laughs> oh yeah. I think, I think it's very, it's good to look at it from as many different angles as you possibly can. I think if you get yeah. bogged down in the really clinical aspect of everything, it's like, yeah. it's important, obviously. Yeah. It's super important in terms of like getting medications sorted and that kind of thing, that kind of thing. But I think if you get too bogged down in the clinical side, it just becomes like 
all-encompassing, I think. Mm, definitely. And you feel yeah. very taken back, like very overloaded with it. Mm. And it's interesting. I just think about my relationships with people and how I've kind of compartmentalized different people for different, you know, and we, we talk about different things. So for my psychiatrist, we don't dive that deep. It's more about how my medication's going and, and he's quite clinical in a lot of ways, but he's actually, you know, for a psychiatrist, he's actually quite warm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to any out there but um and then so you know then louisa obviously we dive deeper with her and then i've got friends who have conditions themselves and we can talk about everything and that's brilliant and then i've got some friends who are very uncomfortable talking about it so i don't talk about that stuff with them because Mm. i know it makes them uncomfortable Mm. um even though i want to educate them (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) yes and i mean it was quite like i was quite hurt when i got back from overseas and there were you know I, I I was in hospital twice last year it was quite serious and for them not to even really ask me about it or acknowledge yeah. that that it happened it was almost like they didn't want to acknowledge it and that was quite hurtful I, I was like fuck like it was pretty intense I almost died you know twice and and I think that's the thing with suicide people think well it's your choice and it's like no it's not my choice I was sick and I could not see clearly there's no way I would choose to do that unless if I was really sick Mm, you know exactly that's so spot on it's just yeah it's complicated because a lot of people view suicide as like a cowardly escape or you know you, how can, how dare you think that? And I and I, like I lost someone to suicide when I was sixteen, mm. a boyfriend of mine. So that was very traumatic, and I was so angry at him. I was just so like incredibly just devastated. And how dare you do that to everybody and all that stuff? And then you know, ten years later, I was in the same boat. So it's quite it's quite surreal um, to think that. Yeah, and it just shows that it doesn't discriminate. Anyone can fall into that hole. Oh, 100%. I think mental illness is one of those things that if you haven't experienced it, it is very difficult to... <laughs> oh, yeah. To, you can sympathise, 100%, but to empathise and really understand those feelings, it's it's incredibly hard because it's yeah, it's like nothing definitely. you've ever experienced. It's. I mean, I was very judgmental of people with depression. When I was, like, in my early 20s, I'd worked with people... I was working on a community um, with the Atherton Gardens, uh, the public housing oh, cool. yeah. community doing journalism project and there were people that had depression and I just couldn't I was like well yeah like you just don't I was like yeah I've been depressed and I've but that's because I was I dealt with some grief but yeah until you really like you experience it yourself it's really hard and that's I mean that's what I'm hoping with COVID is that people might become more empathetic for, you know um, because maybe they've experienced it for the first time being, you know, in depression because yes. of what's happened. I think that's a brilliant point. I think for the first time people are experiencing, well, some people are experiencing isolation, loneliness, depression, anxiety, yeah. you know, stress. And I think yeah. the fact that, I mean, obviously no one wants a global pandemic to have to happen for this yeah. stuff to be understood better. But I think when people experience stuff as a community, um, mm-hmm. and they understand that this is something that impacts people every day, 
even if there is a even if there isn't a pandemic on like that's a very powerful thing because i think it changes the way people think and they interact with mental illness and mental ill health but yeah i think it's incredible some of the conversations i've had with people who have for the first time felt loneliness and isolation before and it's a very difficult thing to experience it is Mm. very hard to Mm. experience oh my god yeah it's like one of the worst things because you just feel like there's no hope Mm. at all I mean like last year when I was in hospital I was in a mixed state which I didn't know what that was until my Louise explained it to me (laughs) um you know I was in a state where I was incredibly paranoid totally could not see the future bright like any sort of brightness in the future was like thinking that the tax office was going to get me like I was really no messy state and then anxiety was just heightened anxiety so it's just and then depression so it was just this really awful mix of just all these different um problems um and you just feel so alone you just Mm. feel so alone being in that in that state and I think I've spoke. I mean, I've been speaking to a few of my friends that are that do come from very privileged backgrounds. I think, and um, and I think they've maybe it's made them think a little bit more maybe empathetic. <laughs> but also, it's it's fascinating to see what where people's moral compasses lie. Mm. Like when I've been talking to people about like some friends are so concerned about like society and you know what's happened with the public housing in in melbourne with the lockdowns like, yes yes what a disgrace like you know and just talking to them and just hashing out like our anger and all this sort of stuff and then there's other friends that are much more about like how is it affecting them mm. and their lives like oh my like i oh my god how bad is it seeing you know tape around the the playgrounds and you know just very things that i'm like really is that the worst thing yeah is that your takeaway <laughs> your takeaway really or like we can't go in for a while or i'm like are you fucking kidding me like is that the worst thing that yeah anyway i know but i guess is that if that's all they have to compare it to um if that's their life before and after like I understand why people get very frustrated because they're like, well, I could do all this thing, all these things before and I was I was free to do whatever I wanted and now I can't. Um, and it's kind of like you, you, you feel this need to say to people, well, honey, like <laughs> if you think what you're experiencing is difficult, like try experiencing that every day but ten times more. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. And that's, that's the actuality. I think it was very interesting when we first went into lockdown and there was a lot of people doing like online um, like – uh, yoga instruction and all that kind of stuff and all these like online cu- courses and I'm like can you imagine how beneficial that would be to people who with disabilities who are at home mm-hmm. isolated to have those mm-hmm. options mm-hmm. presented to them yeah. every day like yeah. that's the thing most people don't like get to just leave their houses and do what they need to do they're not not everybody's in that boat and I think that was really interesting and it made people realize like holy fuck we're lucky Ugh. yeah yeah lucky lucky people and i mean because i've got polish heritage so my my parents came here when they were 20 with like wow zero zero money no english nothing like trying to escape communism because it was so rough in poland oh yeah so they they managed to get out and stay in austria for a while they they wrote my dad wrote a letter to like uh, a polish club in 
saying, hey, can can you sponsor us? I'll play I'll play football. And, <laughs> and they managed to get like my parents over to Australia. And I mean, those days, like the Australian government were actually humane about yeah. asylum seekers. So mum and dad got, you know, got the invite to come over and then they had this community of Polish people and then they, you know, they lived in a shithole in the beginning. <laughs> but, you know, at the time they were like really well looked after and, and had a livable doll and education opportunities. And, you know, now my dad works as a very successful software developer. Wow. You know, and so, but like I've always had this because my grandparents all went through the war. They all had very intense experiences. So I feel like I've got quite a lot of intergenerational trauma from mm. that. Um, and so I've always had, maybe that that's that's part of the that paranoia about when I was a kid, you know, the world ending and stuff. I was also obsessed with the Holocaust. Really? <laughs> because my grandmother, because I, I, you know, I'd had these like, information that my gra- grandmother was sent to a labor camp and wow like, and I was like how could this have happened you know um so That's I've always had that yeah I've always had that sense of like things could just like disappear at any moment I mean Polish history is so intense it's yeah so intense I mean there were points where it didn't even exist on the map you know? mm. <laughs> so I think I think it's just yeah fascinating to see people's reactions i mean a lot of australians haven't had to deal with anything like this in their lives or their parents lives or you know so yeah so it's been very interesting times oh i 100% agree i think that's really interesting that kind of idea of your like that intergenerational trauma in sense of always having to be on high alert and having that like worry at the back of your mind all the time like that's a very heavy burden to carry when you're a child i mean you know money was always a big issue like growing up and now it's okay but I'm still like I still feel like I'm not empowered enough Mm. with money and then obviously having the bipolar I make these stupid decisions of you know spending money (laughs) (laughs) my stupidest thing that I did I swear it was I mean like 2018 I was living in Malmo and I put on I put on I like to put on events and music events and stuff and I decided to book this DJ from Uganda wow and put on like this event at this club and I was like I had no money for it <laughs> but I wanted to do it anyway <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was just so stupid so I got into this stupid debt because I had to pay because I was then I pulled out of it and because I that's the thing you, you commit to these things and then you like fuck I can't do it have to pull out (laughs) so I pulled out and then I was ended up in this debt and then my husband was like what what did you do (laughs) what so we have this like rule which I'm trying to abide by it's like a 48 hour rule Mm -hmm. where if I've got an idea we, we, we I talk to him about it we sit on it for like 48 hours and then we act on it so if it's you know if it's a good idea we'd we'd do that and we go ahead with it um just because I need that because otherwise I just I don't know just my brain goes a bit wild (laughs) and do you think that like works for you do you find it effective um yeah yeah just I guess it's hard in the moment though to like abide to it if you feel it so strongly yeah yeah and I've got a lot of post-it notes in front of me (laughs) (laughs) like they're hanging on my wall one of them is like is this wise Do you find, do you find, because I know obviously um, with anxiety, there's this rumination and um, 
obsessive thinking and that kind of stuff. Do you find that you are often up at night trying to sleep, just like planning and having all these ideas come to you? Do, do you find sleep is difficult? Yeah. So I wake up quite early a lot of the mornings, like around four, wow. five, and then my brain is ticking. Um, and it, it depends on what I've seen the night before. <laughs> <laughs> on Saturday, I stupidly watched Wolf Creek. Oh no, don't do that. I don't know why. I just like, oh, Outback horror movie. Yeah, sure. And we watched it and I was like, no. (laughs) And I drank a glass of wine and I just think anyone with bipolar should not drink alcohol. It's Mm -hmm. not not good. I mean, anyone that sort of suffers depression as well, because it just really knocks you about. Mm. Um, Maybe some people can deal with it, but it just like, it took me like three days to recover from that, you know. Which is a yeah. long time. It is, but it's such a waste of time. And it's like the problem is I get really like excited when I'm in a good role, you know, like, uh, you know, I had a really good week and then you're like, I always want to have a drink and then you have the drink and then it just brings you back again and you're like, oh, damn it. <laughs> Louise is like, you just, just stop drinking. Just, just look what it's doing to you. But it's nice. I love alcohol. I yeah, I know. It's so soothing. Especially Prosecco. Oh, yes. Oh, my. That's my drink of choice during the yeah, summertime. Me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. I know. And I'm always like to my psychologist, I'm like, I'm not doing any drugs, kind of drink. And he's like, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do what Talk you want. You. <laughs> but I think some, some are worse than others. I think wine just sets me off. Mm. Whereas mm-hmm. beer, I, I don't really get affected as much. So it depends. Yeah, I feel that. I get yeah. that. Um, I wanted to ask in terms of – you said something quite interesting, and that is like you want to talk about how your creative practice can help with yeah. recovery. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'd really love you to speak to that if you could. Yeah, I mean, look, when I was first diagnosed with bipolar, I took up a jewellery course. Oh. Um, yeah, um, just like a hands-on kind of like learning how to make jewellery because I've always wanted to, um, and then I thought this would be good, you know, therapeutic thing to do and then I discovered lost wax casting which is where you get like wax and you carve into it and then it like um then you can cast it into silver or metals. oh sick. so you make really beautiful things so I got I did that and it was just so good for my well-being and also because it was every week so I had this routine yes um and then you, you see it come to life and then I started selling it and I started and that really built my self-esteem mm-hmm. like it really built up like you know, seeing people buy it, wearing it, loving it, it was like, oh, I made something that people like, you know, and it, mm. it just made it makes you feel good to actually make something with your hands. Um, so that's one thing that I really loved. And in this lockdown, actually, I've been – I've rediscovered drawing again, which is – just brilliant and also there's a software called canva oh i love canva love it love it love it yeah (laughs) yeah so um so what i do is i take a lot of photos of like flowers and colorful things in nature and things like that and then i put it into canva and then mess around with it with filters and and just make this wild digital art and it's so soothing it's like the most soothing thing you can do and it just i don't know like i remember when I first discovered doing it, I just remember feeling a real sense of calm. Mm. Um, and I think that's the thing, harnessing technology for your like creative process and also making music. I mean, I use Ableton Live, which is a um, music-making software, mm. really accessible. 
I mean, the interface is a little bit intimidating at the start. Yeah, it scares me. (laughs) (laughs) But once you get into it, you you learn a lot about it. Um, And it's just so therapeutic. I've seen, because when I was living in Sweden, I taught at Girls Rock Camp, which is like... Oh, wow. That's so cool. Yeah. So that was super fun. And it was such a life-changing experience. And I had two students that were very, you know, had self-harming issues and were quite withdrawn. Hmm. And then I popped them into the studio taught them how to make beats and then they were in there for like you know two hours or three hours and then they came out with this like it like lighter you know and talking and like chatting and I was like far out that's so powerful you know to to see someone Mm. see seeing how art affects them so I'm yeah I'm a real advocate for art therapy and creative therapy because I think it it can marry the clinical side of psychology treatment. Yes. You know, like it can, it can, cause you can't just rely on medication. You just can't. No, no, you know, definitely. That's, that's the thing that people make get, get wrong and think that, well, the medication's not working. Nothing's working, but I'm like, yeah, but you've got to put in the work. You've got to put in a lot of work to get better. Hmm. Like that's just the way it is. You can't just have one drug and be like, Oh, I'm better now. It's like, no, there's a whole holistic approach. You have to, <laughs> There's a lot you, know, you need to have do. Have a routine, exercise, don't drink alcohol, um, do some creative stuff. Like there's just so much that you have to think about when you do have a mental health condition because otherwise things go off the rails really mm. easily, really quickly. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, that's, that's the thing that I think is really powerful. No, I, I mean, I remember I was for a brief time working as a peer, peer worker in, in the in the mental health um, kind of services in New South Wales, and they were looking at a lot, um, kind of looking at how art therapy can be super impactful mm. with people who are actually in hospital. Because I think, I think it's so true, like it just gets you out of whatever you're thinking about, whatever you're ruminating about, whatever thoughts you're kind of cycling through and it gets you to focus on something completely different. And it is, it is really powerful when you create stuff. Like I, I love it. Like the feeling I get, even yeah, when I put out this podcast. Like, oh. yeah. yeah. And you're like, oh, wow, that's, that's cool. Did I make that? A hundred percent. And I'm sure it's the same with like your music, like just yeah, people saying, yeah, I loved yeah. this. I like yeah, really liked yeah. listening to it. It's yeah. just such an incredible feeling. And I think it also makes you feel like, you are contributing to something you are being like you're achieving and you're not just like sitting there and doing nothing. It's, it's a really empowering feeling. I think. Well, I think, I mean, when I was in hospital, it was in Sweden. So it was a very sterile environment. Mm. I was like, it could be so much better. They could have little art workshops. They could have like, you know, these corners, but it was just like, I just did nothing while I was in there. All I did, I had my iPad and was watching Six Feet Under. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that show. I was like, this is kind of cool. I'm actually quite enjoying this because I'm just here doing nothing, watching a really great series. But I had to, like, the bed was like this plastic, had this plastic cut. It was just really uncomfortable. Um, (laughs) But the girl next to me had all these art supplies and I was like, I want some art supplies. Give me some art supplies. She wouldn't share. like, well, I didn't ask. Maybe I could have asked, but um, but I mean, yeah, I think there could be because it just it felt like no, everyone was just sitting there, like there was nothing going on, and I was like, you know, like just put out some paint or <laughs> like 
bring in some ukuleles. I don't know, like just do something that that might, you know, keep these people occupied because everyone just looks so bored. And I'm like, I'm like, why? How is this helping? Like, mm. I mean, it did help in a way. I mean, it did kind of calm my anxieties, and but at the same time, I'm like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. I guess. Yeah. I guess you're obviously going in there for treatment. That's your. That's your number one reason for being in there. But like, you can't expect people just to sit there and do nothing, and also expect them to to thrive. Like, yeah, like they can get better, but could they thrive? You know, like if they, uh, yeah, I was even like considering, you know, trying to trying to do programs for people with um, mental health issues with Canva and with ableton you know like incorporating those those technologies mm. um, i love very that empowering. it's very it's like people can just do it in their own time yeah and also like when you think about music therapy um i think it's a bit limited in the way that they because a lot of people can't play instruments it's very it's very technical to, to play a guitar you know like, it's not easy no but when you when you have a program like ableton it's very accessible yeah these computers you can just make beats all day like it's great yeah there's not you know there's no expectation you just like do what you want and and you make stuff and it sounds really good and it's very soothing to Mm. to like i I mean i i often say like i'm a sound sculptor (laughs) i love that yeah because i'm like i i like to mess with different samples and you know shape the sound yeah um and that's very soothing that's so cool and i feel and i feel like also you don't have to like show that to anyone you can just have that as your thing that you're doing and like it never needs to see the light of day it's just for you but it's creative yeah i love that um the reason that we actually i i mean i stumbled across you is because you you um we we are in a similar facebook page group i think what group what group did i find you in young australian writers i can't remember um and you posted about a kind of uh a piece of work you're working on would you be able to like talk about that yeah so um i've started working on it uh it's called seesaw it's um it's a guide, like a navi- guide to navigating bipolar disorder. So it's basically for people that have been just diagnosed with it, maybe have had a parent diagnosed with it or a family member or a loved one, or also who have experienced losing someone to suicide. So it's a very broad, mm. um, it's a very broad project. So what I want is to really make it have as many anecdotes and contributions from people um, you know, have it first of all from my own experience. So each chapter would be like from my own experience, but then inviting a lot of other different voices um, because I think it's really hard to find, you know, good resources. Yes, <laughs> that aren't scary. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> like, I don't know. When I was first diagnosed, it was very scary to read about bipolar two disorder. I'm like, oh, it's a fifteen percent suicide potential you know like there's all yeah. these facts and figures yes exactly it's clinical again the stephen fry documentary oh um, love that which was really great and he, you know he talks to a lot of people with bipolar disorder and that just made me feel very comforted mm. to, to hear other people's stories um and to feel less alone so yeah so i want this to be a kind and also linking people to resources that i found helpful and that other people found helpful and yeah so it's it's an ongoing thing it's um i love it 
yeah, it's something that I think, yeah, was lacking when I was diagnosed. And, would, you know, it's it's almost like, for me, I want to learn more about it because I'm still learning about it, mm. learning about this condition. That it's I a have. journey. It is. And you sometimes forget that you have it when you're feeling well. You forget that you have it. And then suddenly you might do something and you're like, oh, hang on. <laughs> Here we go again. Yeah, like the other day I was like, I don't know, I just ordered all these prints. Like, you know, and I was like, why did I do that? What, <laughs> what was my... Because I have this, like, obsession with businesses, you know, starting a business or starting this venture or, you know, da, 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 da. And that's my, like, a lot of people with bipolar might go out and buy a boat <laughs> or, um, or do, like, you know, spend a lot of money on shoes or something like that. But my thing is, like, projects. <laughs> yes. Like, vice is, like, you know, like, all these, like, ideas and, yeah, so, I mean... Everyone's every everyone's got their own quirky things, and I, I think I also want to inject quite a bit of humor into the book as well. <laughs> oh yeah, humor is so important. Like number one important thing. Yeah, like stupid shit I've done when manic. <laughs> <laughs> like I got a tattoo when I was like, uh, you know, I was working on my album, and then at the end of the album, like end of that few weeks, I was like, I'm going to get it. I'm just going to like mark this occasion. <laughs> and, I went out and got one, and it, I hate it. I just hate it. Oh no! It's on my arm, and I'm like, every time I look, like I'm looking at it now, and I'm like, oh, what is it? It's a flower. Uh, I just didn't get it. Like it wasn't a very well thought out. Yeah. Movie. So I'm like, <laughs> and that's something that's permanent, and it's like on my arm, and I can't, you know. Yeah. So uh, it's so yeah, and it's just yeah, other stupid shit. So uh, it's funny. It would be funny to hear people's stories. (laughs) Well, I feel like we can definitely plug that somehow to my listeners. Yeah. um, Because I'm sure we would love to – anyone out there who has a lived experience of bipolar disorder could definitely contribute. So Mm -hmm. I will find a way to tell the people. I'll make a form maybe and people can just fill out their details. Good idea. Good idea. Love it. (laughs) Well, we're nearly out of time. So I did want to ask, um, I guess, to if you were to give some advice to someone who was maybe a bit younger, just been diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder, um, what would be some advice you'd give them in terms of, you know, continuing on and, and, and getting treatment and, and kind of dealing with that new diagnosis? Mm, um, yeah, um, I think just try and see the silver linings mm-hmm. of the condition because often there is a lot of creativity there so try and find a, a good like I said like a good channel um, to help yourself deal with with certain parts of the disorder yep always be try and be as transparent as possible with your loved ones that's one thing that I think is really important because I've often lied a lot (laughs) and those lies compound and they just become really toxic so I think it's really important if you're in a relationship if you've got you know your family just be very honest with how you're Mm. feeling and what what you're going through because it's there is a lot of shame around feeling like you're feeling suicidal like there's a lot of shame around that um but it's it's really important just to be open um and also just take your medication (laughs) <laughs> and, and I think just 
just uh, if it's not feeling right, it's probably not right for you. Yeah. So just keep adjusting and keep trying to find that perfect balance because it you can get there, I think. Um, maybe not everyone. I don't know if it, it doesn't work for everybody, mm. which, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that it does work for me. But, um, yeah, and just just reach out to other people with bipolar disorder. I think that's a really, really good strategy because they get it. <laughs> yes, 100%. Oh, my God, yeah, lived anyone, experience. Anyone with a disorder, any mm. sort of person that, you know, either has anxiety or depression or, you know, I just think it's, it's, it's really important. And also don't expect, I think don't expect all your friends to understand mm. and try not to be too hurt by it. Because, <laughs> you know, I've, I've been hurt quite a bit and I'm trying to, to just move beyond that. Yeah, I guess focus on those friends that do get it and do understand. Yeah, or just, you know, like I said, like kind of put them in different boxes. Mm. <laughs> you know, some friends are just for fun and, you know, just talk shit with them. Don't bring in your stuff. But then the other friends that get it, then you can like, you know, go to town. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. That's brilliant advice. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I have enjoyed talking with you immensely. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks, Maddie. Welcome back everybody. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Anya. She yeah, I think uh, her ability to be so creative is very... I'm very envious of her creativity. Um, she is such a cool gal. And and as you probably heard, we were talking about her la- her latest project, which is Cecil. So she's actually writing up or creating a guide for people who are living with bipolar, um, written by herself, but she's also looking for people um, also living with bipolar to contribute. So I will say for now, if you would like to be involved, you can shoot me an email at if you don't mind podcast at gmail.com and I will shoot that through to Anya. Um, but yes, thank you so much, Anya, for being on the show. You were absolutely fabulous. Um, guys, before I go, remember that you can reach me, interact with me, um, and the show on Facebook. Just type in If You Don't Mind, Instagram, If You Don't Mind Podcast. Um, we are still on Patreon, so if you feel like becoming a patron, you can for as little as $2 a month which is very cool. Um, And if you want to be on the show, if you have any ideas, if you would like to suggest something, shoot me an email. It's if you don't mind podcast at gmail.com. I'm always happy to hear from anyone, anyone. Um, So guys, as usual, be kind to yourselves, be kind to one another. And, um, and when you do have time, please listen to someone else's story because it really does change the way you think and and look at the world. Um, Thanks guys. I'll see you soon. (music) Thank <music> you.